Lofa Tatupu. The first pass of the game is intercepted and Tatupu brings it all the way back inside. Picked off on the first play from scrimmage. Third down and six. Feely intercepted for the second time by Tatupu. Lofa Tatupu scored his only career touchdown against the Eagles. And he brings this one all the way back to the eight-yard line. Tatupu with his second interception. Four down and seven. Moment to go, a 64-yard punt return by Brian Westbrook to put the Eagles in this position. Oh, Lofa. Third interception today for Lofa Tatupu. I mean, the guy must be invisible. I mean, he has to be invisible to AJ. Welcome to another special episode of the pedestrian podcast and after a stellar 2020 in terms of guests if not me and adam we start off 2021 equally if not even stronger joining myself and adam is a former usc and seahawks linebacker a three-time pro bowler an all pro a two-time national champ at usc a 2005 nfc champ and a member of the Seahawks 35th anniversary team, and now a business owner. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast number 51, Lofa Tupu. Hey, how's everybody doing? Thanks for having me. Not too bad. How was the intro? That was great, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I don't think it's often anymore. <laughs> uh, so uh, me, me and Adam both watched the uh, podcast experience you made with KJ and Mike Morgan, uh, was about a year ago, year or so ago. Yeah, uh, you talked when they did their intro. How you see yourself more as a two-time pro bowler than a three-time pro bowler? You know, it's I wasn't voted. I, you know, <laughs> I was watching it. I did play in the game, and I mean, you know, of course, everybody. That's and you'll 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 probably if we talk more about my life and you know the upbringing. You'll see that I've always been pretty a lot harder on myself than than anybody else has, despite everybody else saying I was not going to make it to the league. Um, I've always I've always been my own worst critic. You're two time. We know the truth, so that's probably why that kind of goes on. You'll you'll be introduced as three time, and you have some friends saying, "Ah, we know you're a two time." Yeah, yeah. The, you know the guys, my my boys that I grew up that know me, and they know that you know, hey, you either made it or you didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They, they agree with me. They're like, yeah, you only made it twice. Erlacher said that. <laughs> well, we're still waiting for our first call to the Pro Bowl. So, you know, you're, in this circle, you're, you're fine. You can have, In fact, we'll split your three up one each. That'd be great. Sounds awesome. Uh, so we'll go back to the start of this millennia. You got to USC in 2003, and linebacker was a big like legacy thing, wasn't it, USC? But obviously two people that Seahawks fans are so clearly uh, used to seeing and used to hearing from in 2020-21, Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr., what role did they play in you being and going from Maine to SC and playing at the Coliseum? Yeah, I credit those two. Well, so before even Kenny Norton got there, the year before, I had Nick Holt, who is a, you know, he's he's coached everywhere. He's, he's had a lot of great defenses. And Rocky Seto, those were my coaches before Norton, you know. And I credit those guys and Pete with teaching me you know, the X's and O's and really learn about the numbers. And you, a lot of people don't realize they think football is just biggest, fastest, strongest, and you get the job done. But, um, you know, as you know, I'm not the biggest, fastest or the strongest. So I had to, I had to use other tricks, uh, namely my, my mental, you know, my acumen for the game and my, my instincts. So, um, and with that, that's where Ken Norton really helped refine, 
you know, hey, this is an opportunity where you can take this chance and you can make this play. And if you don't, you have, you know, an all-pro safety behind you making the tackle. So, like, it becomes a game of calculations. And um, it's when you learn it to that extent, it becomes extremely fun. Yeah, Adam? When you're at somewhere like USC, you know, it's a huge name brand in sport. You know, I would imagine even most people in the UK with a passing interest in American football, USC means something. Is there something you can put your finger on, like tangible, that says like when you get there, it's like, oh, that's what, you know, this this happened and that's what it means to be part of that brand? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I'm a legacy coming from my dad played at Southern Cal. He won a national championship with them in 74. And so... Um, I knew well, I was well aware of the tradition that goes on there and, and, you know, what it means, all the Heismans, all the national championships. I mean, it's, it's the big time, right? You know? And so when you walk in there in heritage hall is the main building where, you know, you have your study hall, you have your weights, everything. And the first thing you see is all the Heisman trophies and the <laughs> national championships. And it's like, okay, you know, this is, this is it's a little intimidating, but it's what you signed up for. It's what you always dreamed of. Yeah. And obviously the, the two years you played at SC before you went to the league, 25 wins, two national championships. I mean, the system was in place there to win. Did that help you when you made that next step to the league? Well, the system actually wasn't in place. Um, they had come off their worst, or I think they went six and six, and Pete had just got the job. And then that next year, so I was redshirting as Carson Palmer and Troy Palomalu's last year. And that's when the culture changed mm-hmm. and when it became a powerhouse. They went 11-2 and two. the very next year, in stepped, you know, a new quarterback and a new linebacker. Of course, everybody remembers the quarterback, Matt Leinert. Uh, I was the <laughs> linebacker. But, um, you know, those are, those are your, your, your centerpieces Uh, much like Bobby and uh, Russ for the Hawks. And so with that, you know, we had an incredible roster, Uh, Reggie Bush, Lendale White, the names go on, but we had to start, you know, expecting to win. And I think that's what really, you know, Pete brought, you know, to, to Southern Cal was an expectations of a higher standard and a level of play that you've seen him carry up to the NFL with the Seahawks. So can you feel the shift like from six and six to 11 and two, like as, as training camp and, you know, as the summer's going on, can you feel that, you know, as you're walking into that first game, like we know what we are now? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, you look at the film of the six and six season and you look at, uh, you hear everybody that, that was there for it, you know, and they're like, Oh wow, man, this, you know, things are changing. And, you know, you hear the expectation, not just, you know, of the fans, but the guys in the building doing the work, um, there's a different, you know, way of which they operate, you know, standing operating procedure. I mean, everything, everything counts from, from, you know, training table, what you're eating to, you know, uh, you know, extra film work. It, it was, it was stepped up a notch and that's, that's how you win national championships. Yeah. Uh, so it's 12 and 0, 13 and one. Then when you got to the league, 13 and three and a Super Bowl run. Did after a certain bit, did you forget what losing felt like after those three years? Because that's quite a run. So this is wild. You know, just like as you said, we reeled off, you know, those all those wins. 25 and one in, in at SC. Um, we only lost to Cal in triple overtime and we turned we we turned the ball over five times. You know, I mean, I'll never forget that game, right? You only lost. But we went on for the next year and a half to not lose a game and then finished with Oklahoma, the national championship. 
So the very, I hadn't, hadn't had a loss in a year and a half. <laughs> and we get to the NFL, we go to Jacksonville and they just flat out kick our ass. And I'm talking, you know, it was ugly, you know, I mean, the score wasn't that bad. It was only 26, 14 or whatever, but it was, it was, it was an ass whooping. And so, you know, I got to my locker and I just, I had a good cry. I, I swear, I swear to you, because I hadn't had that feeling in a year and a half. And I mean, you could imagine what it's like. It's like, you know, this isn't supposed to happen. Mm. It's not, <laughs> but um, you know, it's the NFL and, and it's hard. And uh, so um, luckily we righted the ship. We, we started two and two that season. And then we went on to win 11 straight before losing to the Packers, which I mean, Homer pulled all the starters for his boy, Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like, we, we know that Pete's methodology from college transcended itself into the NFL. Is that something that helped you in a, in a rookie year, kind of coming from that system that we've since seen work super well in the NFL as well and, like, help that adjustment period that, you know, a lot of guys really struggle with? I think the teaching of football that, you know, um, and, you know, how he gets you prepared – week in and week out, you know, he preaches competition. You're either competitive or you're not. And, you know, I don't believe that you can make somebody more competitive, which, you know, kind of clashes with his theory. Right. Um, so uh, you either have that or you don't, but the way he teaches you to break down the week and compartmentalize, okay, this day is our focus on first and second down. Uh, this day is, solely committed to turnovers. We're going to get as many turnovers as we can on this day. And it's going to be on the big board. We're going to put it on the screen for everybody to watch. So if you get embarrassed, it's going up on that screen the next day. And so that he does create that element of competition that way. But I'm saying you either have it in your heart to get out there every play and do what you, you know, you love or, or you don't. And um, I think really his fundamentally teaching of technique and, situational awareness. I think those are the things that help me prepare for a seamless transition to the NFL. So uh, you got to the NFL, you got to Seattle. How did Mike Holmgren differ to Pete Carroll? Obviously the energy, just watching them move around is different. Was that, was that palpable like in the uh, building as well? Mike, Mike didn't mess around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, and you know what, what you love about him is you know where you stand, right? Yeah. And because uh, he's either he's either smiling at you or cussing you out. But, <laughs> but um, you know, the, the thing I loved about Mike was the discipline that he instilled. And because great teams, they don't beat themselves. And so, um, you know, he, he was furious anytime, you know, we had a penalty anytime, you know, something that, you know, hurt our chances of winning or even scoring on a drive. It, you know, a missed tackle. It was just the little things and that make a big difference over the course of a full game. And that's what you appreciate from Mike was, um, you know, he was fair but firm. And, um, you know, so definitely different, two different styles between the two coaches. They both have been to – they both won a Super Bowl. They've both been to multiple Super Bowls. So um, they work, right, as long as you're true to yourself. And I think that's the thing I appreciate most about, you know, Mike and Pete was, um, you know, they know who they are and they know how to lead. Was that something that you had to do from day one? Obviously, you're relatively high draft pick second round. Was that something that Mike said to you, look, this is your – your you're my guy on that defensive side of the ball? Or with the veterans like Matt Hasselbeck and Walter Jones on the offensive side, did they kind of take – 
some of that burden off you or did yeah, you thrive I mean, in that? Yeah. No, you know, it's um you know, no one no one does it alone. I mean, we had the number one offense, so let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> It was awesome watching, you know, Sean Alexander, you know, run for 150 yards almost every game, you know. Mm. Um, and, and so when you play with that kind of lead, you know, it's fun because then you, you, you know they have to air it out and you get the interceptions, you get the sacks, the big plays, you get to cut it loose. Um, but in terms of, you know, I, I never felt like a leadership position was a burden or, you know, a responsibility. Um, I was grateful for it. And that was one of the things I'll cherish most was, Six years in the NFL, I was voted captain six times. And so, um, you know, that means the world to me. Yeah. From a talent standpoint, you would have gone from the best player in your high school, probably the town, to, you know, a star college player. You get to the NFL, a mere mortal like us would probably think, oh, my God, like all these guys are now amazing. And I'm like, good, but these guys are incredible. Did you ever have that moment as a pro? Because I'm fascinated by the mindset of when you first really meet your peers. Honestly, I don't even think on my high school team I was the best athlete. And I think it was a shock to you. We had, we, had, we had a couple good athletes. And then I definitely wasn't in college, and I definitely wasn't in the NFL. And, you know, so I think the, the best part of my game is the ability to adapt. Um, you know, and, and my, my whole thing was uh, I worked on, you know, everything you can, uh, hands, feet, situational awareness, down and distance, tendencies. And then I turned my focus over to – um, the the opponent and I knew them better than they knew themselves half the time and that's that's when that's how you stay a step ahead of a guy that's you know ten steps faster than you in the forty <laughs> so um, I I've never I've never lacked confidence either um, which <laughs> like the same reason I, I left I left college you know I left Maine to go to USC and I left college I left USC a year early even though everybody said yo you're not going to get drafted. I was like, hey, man, I, I know what I can do, and I can help a team win. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's really what set me apart as a player in my mindset. It was – I don't care who you are. I'm up for the challenge. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in, in English sporting parlance, the end of the 2005 season is somewhat like we was robbed somewhat. Obviously, with a few <laughs> questionable things happened in Detroit, Super Bowl 40. How easy was that to accept that all the effort, all the work – all the winning you did that year, the players you had with Sean, obviously breaking the rushing touchdown record, Matt, and obviously Walt as well. How how easy was that to accept those, we'll say questionable decisions going against the Seahawks? Uh, it's not easy. You know, obviously, it's the biggest moment of your athletic career. And you, you hope, which I didn't get back, but you hope that you get back, right? Um, and we didn't, unfortunately. And that, that was my greatest regret was not bringing a championship to this city and, uh, and to all the Hawk fans, all the 12s everywhere. But, um, you know, when, when you're trying to compartmentalize it and as best you can and make peace with it, you, you make peace by saying, hey, it, the moment wasn't too big for us. The moment was too big for the referees. Yeah. And, I mean, they came out and said so, you know. And um, I almost wish they hadn't said it because <laughs> – you know, I could, I could go to peace with it, like saying, "Hey, you know what? It just wasn't our day," and I, and you know, the ref called it how he called it. I'd respect that, but to know that you literally were robbed—that's that's hard to make peace with. But I mean, it's 
It is what it is. The journey was was quite epic with uh, with all my brothers, and uh, that's what I'll remember most from that year. Adam, in a different way, the franchise's other Super Bowl loss clearly had lasting effects for a long time because of how dramatic it was and whatever. Was that? Did there ever feel like there was a moment in the team where that moment was completely cleansed and you were able to move on? Because there's some Seahawks fans that would suggest that you know the 2014 Super Bowl loss. They kind of never got over it, and it's kind of led to the breakup of the team, one way or the other. Did, did it ever feel like you were able to get over the Detroit thing as a team? Yeah, I, I, you know, we we put that to rest, you know, seemingly that that off season, you know, um, it, it things things outside your control kept you from a Super Bowl, and that this is life we're talking about, not just football, fellas. <laughs> if you can't control it, why are you going to give any energy, thought, you know, to it? It's mm-hmm. it's is self-defeating and that at that point if you really want to get down to it so um you know we're one of only a few teams to make it back to the playoff after suffering a super bowl loss which that in and of itself is a victory um you know robbie gould kicked a 54 yarder into the wind in chicago to keep us from the you know the division or the championship round which we couldn't even fathom we were like when we had blocked me, Craig Terrell, um, you know, all of us, we had blocked probably seven or eight kicks in the first two years. And all of them were anywhere with over 35 yards. So when we heard, okay, this is 55, this, yeah, we're going to block this. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take the ball back, score. And he nailed it into the wind. And so I was like, man, that, that's incredibly unfortunate to end the season that way. Um, and the Bears did go on to, to compete in the Super Bowl. So at least, you know, we know we were worthy that, that season. And then 07, I thought we had a really good chance. But uh, that blizzard came down. And uh, I don't know what happened, man. It, it was 14 <laughs> nothing to like, all of a sudden it's 21-14. Like, I don't want to say seven, ten minutes later. I was like, whoa. So, um, you know, it, it, it's tough. And that, it just shows you how hard it is to, to win in this league. So I think – you know, the demons of Super Bowl pass were put to rest with that 05 team. With the 14 team, I mean, you, they went back to the playoffs the next year. Mm. And, you know, so it's like it's hard to really say, you know, did it really break up the team? You know, it's – losing the Super Bowl is tough. I mm. mean, and then coming back, you look at the Rams. They didn't make the playoffs the year after they lost. The Niners, they didn't make the playoffs this year. It is hard to do. And so I think both of those teams, uh, 05 and, and 14, just getting back to the playoffs after suffering that loss, you know, that's it shows a lot of, you know, perseverance. When when that happened in the Super Bowl 49, obviously you had experience as a college player and as a pro player working with Pete Carroll. Did you think yeah, he's, he's the guy, if anyone can deal with that and all the blowback is going to come, he's the guy who could deal with it and adapt to it the best? With uh, which one? I'm sorry. With with, uh, with with Super Bowl 49, with how that ended and all the questions, and obviously second guessing he faced. Oh yeah. Well, not just Pete, but also the guy that threw the ball, Russ. Yeah. That that is the most optimistic, you know, go getter, and I'm that throw is not going to define him. You know, he's got a ring. He, he's gonna. I, I gotta believe he's gonna get at least one more, maybe maybe two. I mean, that's that's how hard the guy works. He puts everything into you know his preparation and 
and he really enjoys it. And he's one of the best leaders I've ever seen. Um, you know, you won't catch him hanging his head ever. I mean, he throws an interception, even in the regular season, he goes over to his defense. He's like, Hey, get it back for me and I'll go score. And, and it, about nine out of 10 times it happens. So it's, um, you know, I think they're, they're both, you know, that, that combination, because you need, you need the players and the coaches to, to, to be on that same wavelength. To, yeah. to, to come back. So when we have guests like yourself on, I like to put clips on the, on the start of it. And the one I used for today was uh, your hell of a game in Philly in 2007 when you intercepted AJ Feely three times. And the commentator said after the third one, is Lofa invisible to AJ Feely? When you have a day like that, three interceptions, you nearly returned one as well. Do you like leave the stadium and put the lotto on or? <laughs> No, you know, you know, it's oddly enough, I wasn't even supposed to play in that game. Um, so it's, it's actually a pretty cool little story. Not cool. Like I tore my oblique the week before tackling Steven Jackson, that beast, and uh, managed to get through that game. Didn't know what I had done. I, I thought it was a rib. We go to the MRI and they're like, oh, it's a torn oblique. And, you know, they're like, it's probably like two or three weeks. And I was like, no, like tape it up, do something. You know, we got we got this playoff, you know, push to go to. And um, and it was a prime time, time game in Philly, too. So I get over there and uh, like seven or eight of us come down with the flu as if the, the, the torn oblique wasn't bad enough. Now I got the flu. And so, you know, um, they put us all on like on like separate floors. They're like, stay away from the team. Eat, eat your, your team dinner in a corner. Like, <laughs> and uh so we get to the game and every it's a foregone conclusion, I'm not playing. And um, so I suit up just to at least, you know, not let Philly know. Well, we get out there and me, Julian Peterson and Leroy Hill, our pregame routine is to always go to the corner and, and talk shit to the opposing fans. That's what, <laughs> that's what we do. And, and so I see, you know, Leroy and Julian over there and like, I was like, oh, I can't even go over there and talk because I'm not playing. And someone from some guy with just a super, super hard accent, you know, Philly accent. Hey, Tatupu, you're a, you know, and you know, I'm not going to say the word, but, and I was like, that's it. You know, I'm playing. I was like, and I'm going to, I'm going to get a touchdown. I'm going to score in this end zone. And I, I got interception and I didn't score right there, but I threw the ball right over his head to a fan. And it's a two-poo <laughs> So, I mean, that, you know, I didn't think I was going to play. Right, It was it was right before the game, my uh, linebacker coach, Derek Rollins, you know, I mean, I'm pale as a ghost and not going to make it. And he's like, hey, I, I'm expecting the game of your life. You know, because he said, he goes, Michael Jordan had the flu game. You're going to have a flu game. And I was like, I was looking at him. I wanted to be like, I hope so, coach, but I can't even breathe right now. <laughs> But it, um, you know, it, it, it luckily it turned out the way it did. And, um, you know, it was a fun day. You talk about study and preparation. And I always love asking pro athletes, like if you can remember a particular play, maybe from that game where you're, you're lining up and you're going through all your checks and, and whatever, and you can see that everything you've planned is going to happen right there. Have you got a play in your mind that you can talk through? Like you can go into as much detail as you, because I love stuff like that, where like we can see what you're seeing and, and like ha how it happened exactly as you planned it. I, I always had at least 
four or five plays circled from every team every week. If they come out in this formation on this part of the field, this down and distance, and they throw this, I'm intercepting you. And so, you know, had a good amount of interceptions. You know, a lot of them, they were just drop balls, so pass breakups. Uh, <laughs> when they came out in that game empty, it's it's essentially an isolation with the Mike linebacker. And they can do three things. They can drag, pivot, you know, take that underneath shallow. But as soon as he breaks past three or four yards, it's either a, a five-yard stick, a 10-yard stick, or a stick and go. And so that means out and up. And so as soon I, I bluffed blitzing just to make, you know, me and I think Julian on the other side, I go, hey, because sometimes when we ran empty against empty, we would blitz and just like every man for himself, you know, zip recovery. Uh, well, so we showed that last second I bailed out. And as soon as he didn't come into me or, or go straight to the flats, which would make me get more depth. I just man turned with him and I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to head whip and this should be a flat throw because Dion Grant, uh, one of the best safeties I ever played with, he's really supposed to be, oh, he's really supposed to be out wide. And, um, and he, he knew he quarterback keyed. And so he always took away the vertical because we had Vernon Davis and fast tight ends. I had whipped on LJ Smith and I just knew the ball was going to be somewhere in this vicinity of the chest. And so I just caught it right there. And um, I tried to take it. You always want to go near sideline. Um, but then you fast forward to the second pick and they were in trips. And so I have hook off number three, which is the tight end. Well, if he passes up the running back, I told, um, I told Leroy that I'd be there for that inside slant. And I told Julian, I was like, Hey, you got to take this and I'm going to sit over the back. If they flared the back, they had me. But as soon as they dragged in the back, he stayed in to, to pass protect. I sat and read the quarterback and I broke and, uh, and I made the, the, the pick on the slant. So you, you got some plays that you just know if it, if it happens, just go. And mm -hmm. If you miss the tackle, if you miss, um, you know, the interception, you know, someone, you got a bunch of pro bowlers next to you, you know, Julian, you got Leroy should have made some pro bowls. They're going to make the tackle. So it's a, uh, it's a calculate. Like I said, this is when the numbers, it becomes a numbers game. And it gets really fun. Is one of the biggest challenges teaching yourself to play that freely, that this is what I know is going to happen. And you've got to trust your instincts as opposed to, you know, kind of freezing and kind of doing six out of 10 of your job instead of risking the 10 out of 10 or the two out of 10. Like I said, confidence has never been something that I've liked. <laughs> but you're going to have to ask a guy with less confidence. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, um, I don't know. I think there's, there's just some guys that have that innate ability or, you know, the instinctual, they're like, Hey, it's time to go. Like, and you just go, you see Jamal do it a lot. Um, you know, KJ, you know, um, you know, Bobby's a phenomenal athlete. I I'd like to see him take more chances, but mm -hmm. I mean, you know, six time all pro eight time pro bowl, like the guy's going to be a hall of famer. So my biggest thing when I got there to coach was like, do not mess up Bobby Wagner. Do the <laughs> every year. He's had interception sacks, like everything you can imagine. So it's, it's just, I think everyone has a different um, risk assessment, you know, built in there in their coded in their DNA or whatever. And um, 
to play that freely, I mean, you just got to know the game and know who you're playing. Like I said, it came down to knowing my opponents and knowing who would take the chances. And um, so, yeah, it, it's fun that way. I, it's that that was the most exciting part of the game was, you know, not not, not so much outsmarting somebody, but doing your homework and making a play. So a few years after the Super Bowl, Mike Holmgren leaves. Uh, Matt Hasselbeck's still there. Sean's not there anymore. Walt is getting measured up for his uh, gold jacket a few years later. And then you're, obviously you had a year of Jim Moore, but then Pete Carroll comes in, all, all the fanfare. What was that like? Were you, were you the go-to for what's he like then, Lofa? Was that, was that your role for a few weeks? Yeah, pretty much. It was, <laughs> it was, him and John came in. And it was, I think they set a record for like yeah. like 200 player transactions over the course of a year. And I mean, you think about it, it was only 365 and a quarter days. I mean, <laughs> those guys were busy. <laughs> but, you know, even, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a decent roster, even though we were seven and nine, it really wasn't as bad as, you know, the record stated. We did a lot of complex things on defense that I think it, it led to more missed assignments rather than a perfect execution of, you know, how X's and O's are drawn up. Everything sounds great drawn up. When you got to go out there and, like, put the plan into action and execute, you don't want to make some athletes that the best – the way to beat an athlete is to make them overthink. And like you're saying, you know, um, paralysis by analysis, just – you're just, you know, thinking too much that you can't go get the job done. So I think we did a little too much on defense and um, didn't didn't probably play to our strengths, or we probably could have got a couple more wins out of that one. I know we could have, but um, it didn't matter. We got into the playoffs for the first time in three years, which is exciting. No one gave us a chance against the defending Super Bowl champs, the Saints. They're coming to town. They beat us, you know, just, you know, a month earlier at their house. And, you know, anything can happen, man, any given Sunday. Yeah. And, and obviously that year you had a rookie Earl Thomas flying around behind you as well. That must have been quite something to see him. That draft class, you know, now obviously you, you're going to look at the history because everybody loves quarterbacks and I love middle linebackers. So 12, 2012 is pretty special. <laughs> and Bobby Wagner, yeah. you know. Um, but if you look at that 2010 class, Russell Okum, pro bowler, Earl Thomas, potential Hall of Famer, um, Golden Tate, <laughs> Pro Bowler, um, Walter Thurman was a baller. Uh, mm. He just, he got his, his knee hurt again. Cam Chancellor, yeah, I mean that guy was a machine. And then uh, we had a couple other guys that just got hurt. Um, there was three of the draft picks that EJ Wilson, uh, Jamison Cons, all phenomenal football players, and Dexter Davis at the end of the seventh that. They were all ballers. They just got hurt. Um, so, I mean, I'm dead, I look at that class, and when we watched them move on the field, I was like, yo, this is insane how well we did in this draft. Yeah. Uh, last week was 10 years since Beastquake. What was your point of, point of view on that from the sideline? Because that must have been just all around <laughs> in, in, insanity, really. I've, I've been feeling this question all week because it's the 10th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, I was knocked out. I had gotten knocked out just like two week or two um, series prior to Beast <laughs> So I'm on the side. I'm looking for my helmet. The place is going nuts. Um, I'm looking at the doctor. I was like, yo, what the hell just happened? And um, 
Yeah, he's like, well, one, you just got concussion, but two, I think Marshawn just won't the game. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a couple – there was a couple of vicious hits in that game. Um, one in the first quarter, another in the third, and one – no, another in the – two in the fourth. And me and Julius Jones went head-on in the middle of the field, and we both ended up going to the hospital after that game uh, with a concussion. Pete Carroll is not a guy that needs kind of – to feel validation from, from people. I think, you know, since reading his book and since the USC days, he's got his mantra, his mentality, philosophy, and this is how it's going to go. But in saying that, how much can a playoff win like that just for the buy-in of everyone say, well, we know this is what we need to do. Does that have a tangible difference on, on how people view the future? You know, um, that was my last year here, so I, I couldn't really tell you, but I know that, you know, the guys they brought in um, from from the draft picks, they, it was it was a it was a different class of athlete that that we had seen in a while, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and combination of football players. There's some football players sprinkled in there too, but um, and so I was like, man, you know, so I saw it just the way I saw it when I just got to SC, and um, and I saw I knew what was about to come, and I think that win. Um, because all week, you know, Pete was doing what he does. He said, Hey, you know, we, we, we're going to beat these guys. You know, I don't care what they're saying. Um, you know, he, he said, you know, last time, you know, they had us on their home field. Now, now they got to come deal with us. And, you know, the newspapers were calling him crazy. Everybody, they're like, Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He should be back in college. And I was like, and we can't, and we went out and won, we beat him. And so, um, I think, just that it was a signature win, um, especially being that we hadn't been to the playoffs in, in three years and his first time in the saddle, he takes us there. So, uh, yeah, I think it was definitely something that he could hang his hat on. You know, didn't have to prove anything to anybody, but it did prove to his younger players that would be the vets in that in that Super Bowl, in those two Super Bowls. It proved to them that, hey, this is the way we do things and this is the expectation, just like he said – in um, in college, obviously, when you left the field that night, and Matt Hasselbeck was the same. You didn't realize that was going to be the last time you played a home game in that stadium. How how impactful? How obviously we've seen it dormant and quiet all year with the twenty twenty uh, landscape as it is. How special was it to play? I mean, you played the Coliseum in college as well, but how how special was playing at Central Inc. Westfield Seahawks Stadium for you every other Sunday? Oh man, I didn't realize, you know, how, how, you know, dominant or, you know, or how just crazy really the fan base was for football up here. Um, you know, so it was um, even just for my rookie year, you think about the Giants game, 10 false starts, they, they won that game. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we fought pretty hard, but let's not, like I said, my own worst critic, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> you, you give up 10 false starts to a team, you know, you're really playing from behind and, uh, and we won that game in overtime. So um, can never, you know, um, really put into words how powerful having that, that 12th man, you know, is. And, uh, and just uh, that, be, I, I went out the way I wanted to, 
Carried off the field. <laughs> uh, hoisted, hoisted up on shoulders. <laughs> it was carried off by shoulders. Yeah. Still counts. It was, it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, a gladiators or a middle line, a true middle linebacker's farewell. <laughs> obviously, you, you did leave Seattle, obviously not completely uh, like your full say. So was that something, you were the leading tackler for pretty much every season you were in Seattle. Was that something... Also, it was tough to accept and like try and find a new NFL home. Um, yeah, it was. I think more harder to accept was my body falling apart. You know, not not so much. This is business, yeah. and so you know, it is what it is. Harder to accept was that you know, I I tore one of my meniscus early in that season, and you know, I was never on the injury report for a reason. You know, like you. If you can go, you can go, and you know, don't don't let them know what's going on with you. Um, I tore a ligament in my right ankle. I it just, you know, that mind body connection as you get older and as you know, you get all those concussions is really what I would, you know, uh, say it goes back to. Um, I remember being in 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 one game, and you know, I told him, "Hey, here comes a toss sweep, toss sweep." So I know the play, and that's why I'm always usually first there ball gets snapped they run the toss and i'm not even i haven't even moved i had to like look down at my left leg and say yo we gotta go like <laughs> you know move and um and that gets scary when you you get to that level of um you know of not being able to just react um and it happens i'm telling you it happens more than people probably talk about but um you know it's, it's just, that was the way I played the game, you know, uh, as hard as I could, you know, I, I love that, that aspect, the, 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 the test of willpower and just going head to head with someone that, you know, what on paper, it says you're going to lose, says you have no business being in this, in this, you know, fight. And then you win. And then, you know, they're getting up looking at you like, you know, how did that, how did that <laughs> How did that guy run me over? And um, that's the that's the fun, you know, the other fun part of the game was, you know, a test of, you know, your will and and uh, what, you're, what you're willing to go through. Obviously, you came back a few years later as a coach. You talked about coaching Bobby and watching that podcast you did with Mike Morgan and KJ. KJ Wright was someone who's like seminal to this Pete Carroll year. He clearly holds you in quite a lot of reverence. Is that something that you appreciate more especially KJ because he never played with you he followed you in Seattle is that something you hold dear when someone like that holds you in such high esteem as he clearly does yeah yeah and I think maybe that probably goes back to you know all of our time with Kenny Norton you know because Kenny would tell me about you know guys that he played with and we all looked up to Kenny right you know so three times Super Bowl champ as a player you know won another one as a coach um four or five time all pro he's just a beast right and so you know he taught us so much and i think we all have a close bond because of because of our connection to kenny you know as it's kind of he's like a father figure really man i mean um you know he talked to you about life you know not just ball when you when you're there and um you know you appreciate that and um but you know with kj um you know, what was fun work, and I told Pete this when, when I got the job as the assistant, because Michael Barrow, you know, you know, a lot of credit goes to Mike B, who was also uh, like a mentor to me. But um, I said, I, go, I, I guarantee you, you know, we see KJ go to a Pro Bowl. And, 
And he said, man, he's knocking on that door. He's right there. And, you know, I'm not taking credit for it. I'm just saying, you know, when I got there, I could, I could talk to KJ a little more closely about situations and, and down a distance and like, Hey, you got the running back. I mean, I told him, I was like, we play, we play so much man and you got the running back. I go, or you just go run, go bull rush him, bull rush him into the ground and then go after the quarterback. And he, I guarantee you, he didn't even, we didn't even call, or he didn't get a sack on any of the blitzes that we called for him. But he had five sacks that year on, it was called green dogging. So if you have the running back in man coverage and you go in and, you know, bull rush him, he got five sacks doing that. And I was like, and he's like, man, I should have been doing this the whole time. <laughs> so there's, there's just little things that you can pass on that, you know, I got that from Norton, you know, and I got it from, um, from studying the game and, but he's, he's one of the most underrated guys and under, not underappreciated by Seahawks and the fan base, but last year in year nine, KJ set career high for tackles with like 130 and interceptions with like three, three or four. And he didn't go to the Pro Bowl because now all these guys that are three, four, they're they're DMs, but they're called outside linebackers. They get ten sacks. They're going to the the Pro Bowl, and they should be really looked at as DMs because they rush more than they do, uh, you know, cover. But you don't hear KJ complain. He just keeps going. This year they drafted a first round linebacker, and asked KJ to move over to Sam. I mean, in year ten, that's hard to really, you know, probably come to terms with. Like, wait, yeah. this guy. I know he's a first rounder. And he's the future, but you're going to make me move to Sam. And KJ, he didn't complain once. He went over there, and I and he, he was kicking people's ass all year. I mean, the, the knockout hits, you can't run a screen to his side. So him and Bobby, uh, two greatest linebackers that this organization's ever seen uh, at one and two. And um, it's, uh, it's awesome to watch them play ball. I was uh, really pleased, actually, that KJ was on, you know, doing his press conferences last week saying how pissed off he was at the the disrespect that he felt from some of the fan base, you know, and look, I, I guess in a way we, Stuart and I would have had conversations during the off season about, you know, move this player to open up cap space because yeah, we're, we're fans and we just try and look at these things from like a, you know, a very two dimensional situation. But I was saying to Stu last week that I think if anyone this year has kind of sealed that place on maybe the ring of honor, it's probably KJ. I mean, he's made some plays this year that, you know, there was the, the almost up-down drill he did against Kyler Murray in the home game, which I, I almost, like, like watching him play, like, and the passion he's played with in an empty stadium, he, for me, has been like the fulcrum of the team this year and, and carrying what it means to be a Seahawk. And I've almost found it like emotional at times watching like the passion he's played for, for my team. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, you, you love it. I mean, then he's an amazing leader off the field too. So, I mean, the things he does in the community – he is, I mean, it was incredible that they were able to get him and Bobby, you know, in back-to-back drafts because um, they meant, you know, everything to, to this defense. But, yeah, KJ's – he's the – probably one of the only guys I've ever seen that not only knows how to play all three positions, has not only played all three positions, he's played all three positions well. <laughs> and it's – I mean – I, I can't even imagine having to play Will and Sam. I know how to play them, you know, but to have to do them and do them at a high level, I mean, even, it doesn't matter where he goes. 
he plays at a high level. And um, so I don't want to see him, you know, end in, a, in another uniform. You know, I hope, hope we get him back for a year or two. And it was just, yeah, the, the, the talk, it was all over radio here. It was all over, you know, oh, they're going to move on with the drafting of a first round or they're going to move on from KJ. My whole thought was, okay, he just set career highs and tackles and interceptions. Why, why would we move on from that? You know? Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, like I said, those two guys, I, it was, I don't even know how much better I made them because they were already, <laughs> Ken Norton already had them <laughs> Super Bowls and making Pro Bowls, right? Uh, one more thing on this team, you've talked obviously 2007, you, Philly playing it injured and ill, and obviously your knee in 2010 as well. But obviously we saw on this weekend with Jamal playing with a just a completely busted up shoulder. What what does that do for him? Obviously he's an established player in the league, but he's a new player in Seattle and that system. What does that do for him in the locker room when they return in April, May, June, whenever that is? Um, I mean, he, he's, he, I think he's earned everybody's respect before he came here, yeah. but now, now he really has. And, um, you know, he's got to go get that shoulder fixed. I knew it was bad when he had to come out the rest of that game, um, the last, the final game. Yeah. And, um, yeah. but true to form, he braced it up and went back out there. My God, that guy's fun to watch. Um, he is just a ball of energy. Um, and um, it's just like that Washington game where he had the left flats and he made the sack on the right sideline. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I haven't seen that happen, you know, uh, quite often. You know, you'd have to go back to my days playing with Troy Palomalu at USC. Um, but, yeah, he's um, he's every bit as advertised. He did, you know, he brought the intensity uh, and the energy up a level. I can't imagine how much fun the 12s are going to have when they're in the stadium getting to cheer that on, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's exciting. And um, and then, you know, I think I think he's do – we, do we have another year option on him or do we have a – yeah, I think he's played four years of five now. Yeah. 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 So I think we got at least one more before. Uh, <laughs> you never know. They, they could renegotiate now. Yeah. Uh, also, obviously, Pete's future and Ken Norton's future all through the season really has been up for question. When you hear, obviously, you've worked with both intimately for your career. When you hear the criticisms leveled at Norton, obviously, you talked about Norton in, in, in glowing terms on, the, on this on this chat, but what's your takeaway from when you hear people criticize, particularly Norton and obviously doubt what Pete can do in 2021 and on? Yeah. Well, I think, I think Pete just signed an extension, so he'll be yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, I expect Norton to be back too. He, okay. The way at the beginning of the season has started, you know, the offense was on fire, but you know, we had injuries to Jamal. Shaq Griffin was in and out of the lineup, our best corner. Um, you know, we had just found out who DJ Reed was. And I mean, he is here to stay. That guy is awesome. Mm. Um, Quinn Dunbar, who we traded for from Washington was hurt. You know, his knee was best. So, um, and then the D line, uh, we lost Bruce Irvin. We lost, uh, Shaquem Griffin was out for the first six weeks. And then, uh, I mean, um, Rasheem Green was out for the first six weeks, seven weeks. But then uh, true to form, John Schneider, comes through, saves the day, gets Kenny Norton, a pass rusher and a run stuffer in one pick with Carlos Dunlap. That guy's incredible. I'm excited for, you know, he's got one more year on his deal. But when that guy came back 
and then Jamal came back. DJ Reed emerged as a true, you know, cornerback. This defense, you know, took off over the last seven, eight weeks and uh, got up, got up there in the rankings uh, in terms of sacks. And then, um, you know, it was, uh, it was great to watch them play, man. They, they really turned it around. Yeah. Uh, so it's 2021. As people watching this can see, you're a business owner now. You've got, you co-founded Zoning CBD. How did that come to be? And how is that something you enjoy putting all your former football energy into now? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, um, so I don't know how familiar you guys are with CBD, but you know, it's, it's being talked about a lot. I've been um, using CBD or full spectrum oil for the last uh, four years or so. Um, so even though my venture is only a year old, my baby's only a year old, I've been, you know, I was buying and handing out CBD for the last four years on my own dime because as we well documented, my career was shortened by injuries. 10 surgeries, 15 plus concussions. And this stuff has just put me back together. I'm talking, I look and feel better than I did when I was playing. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's wild to be 38 and know that you're in a better shape. And then also just you're better mentally, physically, spiritually, every which way you could be um, superior. And I, I have eclipsed that from my playing days. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's changed my life. And so from that standpoint, I'm helping others change their life and, uh, and realize their best health. So uh, it's got a number of things it does for you as a neuroprotectant with all the, uh, you know, brain injuries and concussions I've been through. It's, it's helped repair some connections and, and even create some new ones, I believe. Reading a book about the brain right now just to really to know more about how it operates and, and what what this uh products have done for me um but inflammation's down um i i feel better right now than i ever have in my life the last four years that been i miss football don't get me wrong <laughs> uh, but the last four years have been the best four years of my life uh mind body and soul and so from that standpoint i, I started this venture and just helping other people I mean, they, they loosened kind of the, some of the drug regulations in the NFL last year, certainly when it come, came to marijuana use and things like that. I know obviously it's not exactly linked, but, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Presumably it's a matter of time before it becomes something that hopefully will be encouraged for these players because it clearly has such, you know, a better, you know, so much better than pumping yourself with painkillers 24-7. Yeah. I mean, it's... I've done a sales pitch for you. This is great. <laughs> Absolutely, I appreciate you, man. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's it's um, it's funny that they're saying, you know, that the the, the gateway, right? Talking about THC, you know, the gateway drug to all the other drugs. They're they're talking about that being the one that can actually heal you from all the other stuff. And so it's just you know, you know, irony in its finest. But you know, a lot's been there's been a lot because of the stigma around THC hemp cannabis and hemp. You know, yeah. it's they're both cannabis plants, but the difference is the THC amount. And um CBD, I'm telling you, like it if I had this, I would have played at least four or five more years. And honestly, because it acts on your cell receptors. And so, you know, I know myself better than I ever have at 38. And um, I know how the food affects me. You know, I get better sleep, so I'm more energized. It's all encompassing. And with that, it leads to a better life. And so the NFL would just be putting a better product 
on the field in terms of the players and uh, and a better one in the community. So, I mean, I, I really think it's a win-win. Uh, and, and as soon as they lift it and just say, hey, you know, you, you can, you guys are allowed to, to, to use this to, um, to, to heal. Yeah. So m- my mom suffers quite bad with rheumatoid arthritis. So I'll be playing the next last 90 seconds of this podcast to her when we post it up in a couple of days. So see, I told you, I've been trying to get her to take, get, get on, on her. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible what it's done. Um, and, uh, what it continues to do the stories that I have, you know, testimonials, um, from, from people and what it's helped them through. It's just, it's mind blowing that this is the plant hemp and cannabis. These are the plants that I fully believe are going to heal the world. And, you know, I know that sounds cliche and, you know, but, I, I know what's going to happen. I already know. Like, Cause I just, I know what it's done for me and what it's doing for many others that man, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. A few more things before we uh, let you go and do something far more important than talk to me and Adam. Um, what, we, as, as we said before we start recording, me and Adam have been lucky enough to get to know Walter Jones over the last few years over a few trips coming to Seattle, come to London a couple of years ago. Do you find that if he this finds him, it may find him. Do you find that it's difficult for him to buy around as we did in London, Lofa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, big wall, man. That um, that's incredible getting to getting to hang out with that guy. Yeah. You know, twenty twenty's been different, but I, I used to I used to sit you know up with him at a bunch of the games. Uh, so hopefully we can get back to that. Uh, you know, this year. Yeah. Um. There was some. Oh, also. One, uh, oh, there's another thing, Adam. You going to ask that with a loafer? I've completely. No, that, you, you, you've stolen my last three questions. It's oh. really quite annoying, actually. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, oh, but one thing we would massively do appreciate, appreciate you jumping on. Uh, my first ever jersey was a Sean Alexander. My second jersey was a white loafer to Tupu. So, 19 year old Stu is losing his shit right now talking to you for the last hour or so. So we massively, <laughs> massively do appreciate you um, and hope to see you maybe back in the coaching, coaching the headset on in the, in the future maybe. I think when my kids get a little older, it was just yeah. tough because there was a lot of time away from you. you man, you only have these moments once, uh, you know, and so it's – it was too much time away from them in, in this, in their formative stage. Right. Yeah. And uh, when, when they get older, I'll, da- daddy will definitely be going back to. to- <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we say it to everyone next time the Seahawks are over in whatever that is in the post COVID world, you will, we'll, the, the, the stall at the bar will be waiting for you and we'll love to have you back on the pod when that, if that ever happens. Yeah, man, right on. I appreciate you guys. You stay blessed. No worries. Uh, where, where, you, can, where, where can people catch all your social? And obviously, maybe get involved uh, buying some uh, zoning products as well. Yeah, we currently don't ship to the UK. We're still trying to, you know, go through those, uh, yeah. those international rules and they got tougher out. as well. Yeah, really. They are getting more and more lax or more lenient. But um, Lofa underscore Tatupu on uh, Instagram. Um, and I mean, I have a Twitter, but I like, almost never use it. I don't understand why everybody has like all these different <laughs> media platforms. It's I'm more of a picture guy. I, you know, <laughs> worth a thousand words, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I massively appreciate you jumping on over, and uh, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, folks. Stay, stay in touch, man. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a friend of Softies over there, so I'll have to tell him that you were on the show. 
Oh man, salty. And actually, you gotta you gotta tell him to come on this show as well because he's ducking, he's ducking me, he's ducking us. What unbelievable! Yeah, give him some shit. <laughs> he's big time, man. That's I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. All right, fellas, take care. Stay safe.